and grab your Bible and let's do a little teaching tonight to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 16. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 16. And we are going to plug along a little bit tonight in our We Believe series. This is actually our number 10th fundamental truth. I believe it's actually technically either number week number 7 or 8. A couple of those we combine together. But I'm excited to hear what the Lord will speak to our hearts tonight. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 16. We're going to look at verse number 13, and then we're going to uh, get into this tonight. Matthew 16, verse 13. reads like this. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so some said, uh, so they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and he said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. Lord, tonight as we approach your word, as we get ready to get into this teaching, I pray that open up our ears, open up our eyes, and Lord, let our spirit man be receptive to the truth of your word. Let it come alive to us and help us to be able to perceive it like the Holy Spirit intended for it to be uh, perceived. Lord, I pray for an anointing to teach, but also for an anointing for your people to hear and understand what the Spirit would say to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, that uh, tonight we're going to continue on this. I hope you've enjoyed, and I hope that uh, if you're kind of just now jumping in with us, that you're taking advantage of all of the different resources that we actually offer. These uh, teachings, these messages, they go up on YouTube. Um, they also are on our church app. We've got a podcast, all of the audio, all of those things. Facebook, when it's working correctly, our, our live stream is not working correctly right now. But, uh, so this will be recorded and put online later. But uh, anyway, all of those things are there so that you can go back and either re-listen, re-watch, or catch up if you have to miss for whatever reason. But um, we've been studying on, we believe, the 16 tenets or fundamental truths of our church, our doctrinal statement. And we've been hammering week in, week out, how important it is to doctrinally know what you believe. So important, so important. Doctrine is, uh, for a lack of uh, uh, just kind of an easier way to put it, what is doctrine? Somebody may ask. Doctrine is a set, systematic structure of beliefs. And so, in other words, you read the Scripture, right? Say you open up uh, the Gospels, and we learn that God is love, okay? And so, you want to look at the character and nature of God you can actually follow throughout the Gospels that God indeed is love. And so that, that's doctrine, okay? There's doctrine about the Holy Spirit, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Some would call it topical teaching, but, but it's unlike a topical sermon because these doctrinal truths hold together. And so it's important to know what you believe. Very important. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God, and we've got to make sure that we build whatever we're building on a firm foundation. And so if our beliefs are not built on a firm foundation, when storms come, and they will, and when rain comes, and they will, 
And when wind comes, and it will, they will tumble over and fall. Because the only thing that will stand in the moment of adversity is when our house is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And if you didn't know it, Jesus is the Word. That's what the Scripture says. And so, we've been endeavoring to look at this. Um, Tonight, I want to look at our tenth doctrinal truth. It is um, actually the church and its mission. So before we get too far in this, I want us to read it together. Uh, If you have the notes, if not, you can listen along, but the notes are on the app tonight. Fundamental truth number ten reads like this. The church is the body of Christ, the habitation of God, um, the habitation of God, and it talks about through the Spirit with divine appointments for the fulfillment of her great commission. Each believer born of the Spirit is an integral part of the general assembly and the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. And so uh, I want to draw your attention tonight. That fundamental truth mentions a couple of things. And you actually may be saying, hold on a second, Pastor. That's interesting. Because notice it says he's, they're an integral part of the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. So you got to understand that when you read the Scripture, right? When you read it, there are many different names that are given for the church. And so um, people say, what about the church of Christ? Well, there's a Scripture that talk about the churches of Christ salute you. That's where they get their name. The assemblies of God, that phrase is mentioned in the Scripture. Um, the church of the firstborn, you know, that's in the Scripture. And uh, the people of the way, that's in the Scripture. So these are all descriptive names, and so don't get hung up on that tonight. But um, anyway, we're all a part. Those who believe, those who are born of the Spirit of God, are a part of the church. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to know. As far as God's kingdom is concerned, there is not but one church. That was really weak tonight. In God's kingdom, there's not but one church. There's not a black church. There's not a white church. There's not a Mexican church. There's not a Chinese church. Although there are churches that are, that are geared towards demographics of people and language groups, in God's eyes, there's just one church. And I've got news for you. It's not Baptist. It's not Methodist. It's not AG, Church of God, whatever. There's one church, and it is the church of Jesus Christ that is dipped in His blood. It's the church that He died for and the church that He is coming for. And so, we're going to talk a lot tonight about the church and what we believe about the church. Now, I think it's interesting before we go too far down this trail to go and look at some basic Bible interpretation. Okay? Now, I've taught this before, but for the sake of those of you who may be new Um, When you're interpreting the Bible, right? First of all, when you're looking at the Bible, you always look at the passage that something is written in. And then it's best to read the passages before, the passages after. That's called context. You want the context. You don't want to take Scripture out of context. But there's also another principle that we need to look at when looking at Scripture. And that is something that uh, scholars and theologians alike call the law of first mention. So you you look at when the author mentions something for the very first time, it says something about its intended meaning. And so tonight, that's exactly what I attempted to do. I went and found the very first place in the Scripture that the word church is actually mentioned. Now, for those of you who are 
good students of the Bible and church history, you would know this, but for those of us who are new to the faith, I want to share this with you. Uh, the church did not come into existence as we know it today until the book of Acts. That's what we call the birth of the church. Uh, up until then, Jesus was preaching to the to the Jews, and then uh, you know, and the, and the even the Gentiles, and they were they were, they were preaching to to different people. But it, the church, as we know it, wasn't birthed. So what we're going to see is in our text, Matthew 16. I want you to I want you to read it with me again, and I want to give you some background of this passage, Matthew 16, 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now this is the northern point of Israel. Okay, Syrian border is right to their right. And, and one of their other nations that hate them are to the left. It was a wicked place. I've been there. I've set my feet on the soil and I've looked at it with my own eyes. It's the place where the Jordan River starts. The mouth of it. And at this place, in, in Jesus' day... This place was considerably wicked. People that worshipped idols, they, they sacrificed children, they were pagans. Uh, Jesus took his disciples up to the most wicked place in Israel, to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he pulls the disciples aside and he says this, Hey guys, um, what, what's, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And so Jesus, uh, the disciples begin to speak up, and it says, some say, you're John the Baptist. Now, that may sound weird to some people. You may say, why in the world they say that? Because uh, the, the Bible talks about the, the spirit of John the Baptist and the spirit of Elijah in the last days. And so they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, that the book of Malachi prophesied would come. And others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus uh, said, okay, that's great. But who do you say that I am? You know, it's one thing about what other people say about Jesus, but at the end of the day, what matters the most in your life is not what grandma says about Jesus, not what your pastor says about Jesus, but what do you say about Jesus? Who do you say he is? And he said, you are the Christ. Simon Peter spoke up. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus spoke back and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he said, uh, he goes on to tell him, he said, um, you are uh, Peter. Uh, he said, but on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there, there are different ways to look at this verse. Um, Catholic tradition says Peter was the first pope, and they say that the church was built on Peter. Well, let me tell you something. The church was not built on Peter. The church was built on Christ. And what Jesus was responding to uh, was when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds and he says, blessed are you, this is who you are, and upon this rock, the revelation of who I am, Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You say, well, hold on, Pastor. I have family who are Catholic. How can you say that? Easy. Because the Bible says he was the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone that the builders rejected. The church was built on Jesus. So I wanted to show you tonight this word church. It's the first time it's mentioned in Scripture in this context. So what does it mean? The New Testament 
The majority of it was written in uh, everyday Greek, Koine Greek, and the word here is pronounced two different ways depending on if you're a northern like some people I know or you're a southerner like me. Some people call it ecclesia, other people call it ecclesia, potato, potato, same thing. But the word there, it, it is a very specific word. And I also want you to know that this word, ecclesia, ecclesia, is a, a word that was not unfamiliar to the hearers. Understanding that this Greek, Greco-Roman culture that the disciples walked in, lived in, operated in, the word ecclesia was a word that would be used all the time. And it's actually a governmental word. So I want you to, I want you to look at this. Here's what it means. It, it, it's a governmental word that means this. A called out, assembled group of people. I want to read that again. It, it's a called out, assembled group of people. The purpose of this group was to come together to do business of the one that they represented. It's a legislative body. That's what the ecclesia was. Uh, the government oftentimes um, uh, called out people from society. They selected them to be a part of this group. And say the king would select people to be a part of this group. And when this group assembled together, this called out group, called out from the rest, they were assembled together to, to represent and to do business on behalf of the one that they were representing. They were a very formal, established group. They were not renegades. They were not people out there doing their own thing. This was a formally chosen group of people assembled together to meet together to do the business of the person that they were representing. And when I think about the local church, I can't think of a better word to represent who we are and what we've been called to do. We have been called out of the world, put into the body of Christ and we are uh, uh, to be assembled together. You know, the name of our church that we've clung to is the Assemblies of God. But the, the, the word church here, actually, ecclesia, is an assembled group of people together. And when we look at that, when we come together, we're co coming together in this church to pray. We're coming in this church to serve. We're coming into this church to magnify Jesus to lift Him up, to do kingdom business. That's what we're called to do. Friends, listen to me. According to Jesus, the church is not a country club. It's not a place where you pay your dues, and because you pay your dues, you have the right to the first to line at the complaint box. That's not how it works. The kingdom of God is not a country club, nor is it a cruise ship. It is a battleground where soldiers of the cross assemble and they are discipled and built up and equipped for the mission that God has called them to do. And what is that mission, my friend? It's to seek and to save that which is lost, to worship our Christ, to disciple those who have been found, and to repeat the process. God has called us into His church. Very, very important. You know, we live in a day and an hour where the church, the church at large, is under attack. People have devalued the church. They say, well, I don't need the church. I'm by myself. I'm the, I'm the church. I don't need to go to church. I am the church. 
And um, I, I read a wonderful quote today. I'd never heard it before, before today. So it was so timely how it came into my, my eye gate just moments before uh, this message tonight. But I love what it said. It said, you can be a Christian by yourself, but you cannot be the church by yourself. You can be a Christian by yourself, but you can't be the church by yourself. Because by definition, the church is an assembled, called out group together. And so, that's why the book of Hebrews tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As much, as much more the, as so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Folks, listen, we need to come together to do the work of the kingdom. That's what God has called us to do. So no matter how you try to thwart it, how you try to twist it, the devil always tries to do his best. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to know something. That when the end of all of this happens, when this world is over, when it is done, when everything seems to fall and shake, and the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. There's not anything that, that, that is on this world that will not be shaken by the trials and fires of life. But I love what I heard one of my former pastors say one time. He said, when every other ship has sank, the church will still be standing. Jesus is coming for the church. He's not coming for a weak church. He's not coming for an emaciated church. And I got news for some people. He's not coming back for an unholy church either. He's coming back for a church that's without spot, without wrinkle, and one who loves and longs and looks for His appearing. we got to get ready. The church. The church and its mission. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus told the disciples, I've got to go away but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send the Comforter to you. He will, he will be one that's like me. He will not just be with you. He'll be in you. And the Holy Spirit came and birthed the church on the day of Pentecost. Peter got up and preached and thousands of people, including men and women and children, got saved and baptized and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you see from that place throughout the book of Acts, the church begin to be established and planted. The Bible says they met in homes, they broke bread together, and they met in the temple. They had set times of worship, but their worship wasn't just in the church or in the synagogue, although they did that, but they lived their lives together. That's why it's so important for us to assemble together in corporate times of prayer and worship. It's also important for us to assemble together in other times of fellowship. And so we need to do that. It's important. But there's a purpose for the church. God has a purpose for the church. And I want to look at that tonight from our statement of truths. And these come straight from Scripture. But we've got to ask the question, what is the purpose of the church? What's the purpose of the church? And I want to give these four things to you tonight. Number one, and these are a little bit lengthy, so you might want to write these down. Number one, one purpose of the church. The church exists to be an agency of God for the evangelizing of the world. The church exists to be an agency of God for the evangelizing of the world. Jesus, when He came to this earth, here's what He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Make no mistake about it. This church, one of our purposes is to reach the lost. 
we got to reach the lost. It makes no sense to keep fishing in a bathtub full of fish that are already caught. Amen? We still have to feed those fish, but if we're going to catch more fish, we got to fish outside of the bathtub. Amen? And we do that by outreach. We do that by evangelizing in our own personal relationships. And um, we also do that by partnering with uh, other organizations like missions. And uh, I love what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says. And this is right here at the birth of the church. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witness in Jerusalem. That's where they were. Judea, that's what was outside of the gate. And then Samaria, the place nobody wanted to go. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. Evangelism starts at home and it spreads out. Spreads out. Part of the purpose of the church is to be the, an agency for God for the evangelizing of the world. Let me just tell you something tonight. The moment a church, any church, if, if, if uh, it's one of the most disheartening things that you hear that ever so often you hear about churches that are having to close. And I know some, some reasons are different than the others. I understand you can't paint everything with the same brush. But when you interview a lot of the people and you talk to a lot of the leadership of those churches that have to close, uh, what you find out a lot of times is that they lost their vision for those outside of their doors. They only focused on what was on the inside and only focusing eternally, internally, thwarted their growth and then they were not able to grow. Amen. See, you have to reach people. You have to reach new converts. You've got to go into the world and you've got to evangelize. So the church has to be teaching people to evangelize, challenging people to evangelize, holding them accountable to evangelize. I had one person tell me one time, they said, Pastor, that's just not my ministry. Wrong answer. Now, you may not be called to stand up here and be a fire-breathing, a Bible-toting evangelist like Billy Graham or something like that, but let me tell you what, what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, we've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. Christ has reconciled the world to Himself, not imparting their sins to those who believe on Him. And so it's our job to tell the world, Jesus is the answer for sin. That's our job. It's not just my job, it's your job. The church exists to be an agency of the world to evangelize the lost. Okay? Mark chapter 16, 15 through 18, I've already told you before, this is a prophetic passage because... Jesus is talking about things here that uh, have not come into existence yet. For instance, Jesus talks about uh, tongues here, and that didn't happen to Pentecost, so we know what Jesus was saying. But he said, but he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes, baptized, shall be saved. Who does not believe, will be condemned. These signs will follow them in my, in, who believe in my name. They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. He says... Um, they shall uh, take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. See, the church's job is to get out in the world and to reach people for Christ. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this. It's a long one. The church exists 
to be a corporate body in which man may worship God. Now listen, you can worship God at home. But the scripture talks a lot about us coming together. Uh, Paul writes to the church of Corinth over and over and over again when he's talking about the body of Christ. And some of this is, is stuff that I've already taught on and I've, and I've harped on it a lot, so I don't want to just beat a, a dead horse, so to speak. But Paul talks about the different parts of the body, hands, the foot. that they, they are not the same. They don't have the same function, but they work together. And when we corporately come together, we come together and we use our gifts, we use our talents, we use the things that God has placed in us to worship the Lord. The, the corporate body of Christ is a place where we come together to worship God together. Vitally important. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Paul writes, he says, For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. When we come together, we're coming together with our differences. You know, even, even we talked about culturally a little bit um, before uh, we got into this too much. We are talking about our guest who was coming. We talked about culture. You know, uh, but even inside the church, there are different people. There, there are different classes of people that come to our church. Some rich, some poor, some middle class. There are people of different colors and backgrounds. There are people of different educational levels. There are people who have different skill sets, skill levels. There are people in this room who have been serving Christ for a long time. There are people that attend our church who have just been a couple of months in their faith journey. But I love what Paul said. We all have been, uh, been made to partake of one spirit. When we come together, we lay all of those differences aside. Although we don't forget our differences, we can see them. We're not blind. I think most of us are not. Uh, but my, my contact lenses are pretty strong, so I make a pretty good case there. But I digress. Um, we don't not look at our differences. I hate it when people say, I don't see color, because if God didn't want us to see it, He wouldn't have made it. Hello? Think about it. I, live in a, I, I was raised in very racial South Arkansas where black people, white people, they didn't intermarry. They didn't live in the same part of town. It was terrible. Thankful that my parents raised in Los Angeles and we migrated to California didn't instill that into me at all. But um, I would hear people that they would say, I don't see color. And I'm like, I do. You black. Hello. I'm white. I see the color. The problem is, is that our culture doesn't define our totality of who we are. Because Jesus only really sees one color, and it's the color of the blood. Amen. Are you still with me? All right. But what I'm saying is, when we come into the body of Christ, the corporate setting, like on Sunday, we got teenagers and got elderly, we got different people come together, and we come together to worship Christ. Together. Young, old, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. A long time saved, barely saved. People come together for one purpose, to worship God. The purpose of the church, one of the purposes, the reasons of existence, is to exalt Christ. So awesome.
Here's the third, here's the third thing I want to share with you tonight. The church exists, number three, to be a channel of God's purpose to build a body of saints being perfected in the image of His Son. Be a channel of God's purpose to build a body of saints being perfected in the image of His Son. Now, I want you to turn over to this passage of Scripture with me. Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter number 4, verse 11. Now, I want us to read it slowly. All right? It's on the screen. Notice this. And he himself. Stop right there. When it says he himself, who is it talking about? Huh? Jesus. How do we know that? It's capitalized. He himself. And he himself, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. But notice here what this is. Why did he he give those gifts to the body of Christ? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, go further. It says, until uh, we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, that we no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, and then, uh, uh, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into all things who is the head, Christ, and then we'll finish on verse 16. And he says, For whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, why is this important? Because the church exists to be a channel of God's purpose to build the body of saints. I told you that when we come together, the word ecclesia is a called out assembled group that was called together for a purpose, to do kingdom business. And that's what we're doing tonight. Tonight, we are teaching you. We're equipping you with the Word of God. Notice this. It says uh, that He has uh, given us these gifts. Uh, go back to verse 12. It should be there. And it says, for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Pause it. You know what that means? Now, a lot of people check out right here. But here's what it means. It means God gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You ready? What that means is the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists and the apostles and the prophets and all the gifts that God has called are not supposed to be the only ones doing the ministry. Okay. Now, for years, the, the religious mind has had people blinded to that way. The pastor's the only one that can pray for me. The pastor's the only one that can get a word for me. The pastor's the only one that can come visit me. Now, he should. He, that, that's ministry of a shepherd. But the purpose of a pastor, of a teacher, 
of an evangelist, of any of the fivefold ministry gifts, is to equip the saints so that you can do the work of the ministry. Why? Because, see, we have this misnomer in the body of Christ. Well, I'm not called into ministry. Not according to this. You may not be called into full-time vocational ministry to be a full-time pastor, a full-time teacher of the Word of God like I am or somebody else is. But folks, listen, you're not off the hook. You're called to ministry. Your ministry doesn't look like mine. If you're a school teacher, that's your ministry. If you work at the hospital, that's your ministry. If you're a full-time mom at home, that's your ministry. But we're all called And my job and their job as ministers of the gospel is to equip you to be able to do the work. So important. That's what we need to do until every joint supplies. You know what a healthy church is? A healthy church is not just when a few people are doing things. A healthy church is when everybody is participating in their own level. Right? Many hands make the work go quickly. And so God's part of, part of the church is for us to be equipped. Now, um, here's another part where people check out. Is, it's hard to be equipped if you don't submit yourself to the process. Amen. Because a lot of people, you know, the, and I've taught on the role of a shepherd before. Of course, you, you, the ministry of a teacher and a prophet and an evangelist and, and an apostle or whatever different, but... A shepherd feeds the sheep, leads the sheep, protects the sheep, and sometimes he has to correct the sheep. And when you read, you know, the, reason, the only reason why we have some of the books we have in the New Testament is because of correction. Serious. Paul, the first and second Corinthians are not rosy books. Paul's addressing some messed up stuff. And they, he's like, hey, y'all are doing this and you're doing this, and you need to stop it, and, and this one right here, if he doesn't stop, we're going to just turn him over to the devil and hope he gets saved before, hope he comes back to Christ before he dies. Paul said that in his own words. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. So that the destruction of his flesh, he might be saved in the day of judgment. Paul, you know, he dealt with stuff. But the purpose of the church is to build us up to maturity. To maturity. To cause us to grow. And listen, you, you, you need milk as a baby. But to grow strong, you need meat. You need protein. You need something besides just the watered-down milk. We need the milk in our infancy, but we've got to have the strength of God's Word to be able to grow. Here's the fourth and final one. Number four, the church exists to be a people who demonstrate God's love and compassion for all of the world. Now, we are called... To be the church. Now, I love this because this, this is a part of who we are and a part of what we do. Uh, Jesus uh, talked about this. Paul talked about it. Lots of people in the New Testament mentioned it. But he says, if you see your brother in need and you shut up your bowels of compassion to him. This is what the, the King James, it's the old language. He said, if you shut up your bowels of compassion to him, then how does the love of God dwell in you? Let me, let me give that to you in modern day English. If you see your brother hurting and you have something that can help them stop hurting and instead you look at them and just say, well, God bless you. I'm believing God for you. I'm praying for you. And yet they're hungry 
and you've got extra food, he said, then how does the love of God dwell in you if you do that? But the Bible goes a little step further. He said, he said it's easy to, to love those who love you back. He said, it's easy to bless those who bless you back. He said, even the heathens do that. He says, but love the unlovable. Love your enemy. Pray for those who despitefully use you and those who persecute you. And so, um, our, our missionaries, what did they do? In an effort, a lot of times, to evangelize the world, which was point number one, when they go into a nation and they're starving people, I mean physically. You have babies who are malnourished and you can see their ribs and they don't have water, they don't have clean supplies, they don't have those things. Listen, you can go in and preach Jesus to them and that is helpful, but you know what I found personally? They listen a lot better when they ain't hungry. They listen a lot better when they have shelter over their head. They listen a lot better when they have water that's not malaria infested. So what do we do? We go over and we take groups of people and, you know, this person right here may not be called to be a preacher, but he's a good builder. And so he can help build them a water well. He can help build them something. Now the problem is when you leave the gospel out of that. Because if you leave the gospel out of the humanitarian works, then you're just another organization. But the truth is we exist as, as a church to demonstrate the love of God and the compassion of God to the world around us. Thinking about uh, Carson Corriff, who uh, is a part of our church who's going to school in Colorado and, and uh, they went to, or, to uh, orphanages and whatnot, schools in Romania and encouraging those orphans and just showing the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. That, that's what we're called to do. You don't just have to do that in a third world country. You can do it to the to the foster kids in our community, which is what we're trying to do. You can do that to um, uh, different areas of people that, that need to know the love of Christ. Because there are a lot of people, let's be honest, that have a bad taste in their mouth. Some of it's legitimate, some of it's not legitimate, but they just have a bad taste in their mouth for religion at, 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 at large, or the church, or whatever. And it, it disarms people when you have a genuine heart to give and to bless and to do without any type of string attached. To just come in and say, hey, we're going to feed you because Jesus loves you. So understand tonight, the church at large exists to be an agency of God for evangelizing the world, to be a corporate body in which we may worship God together, to be a channel of God's purpose, to build a body of saints perfected in the image of His Son, and fourthly, to be a people who demonstrate God's love and compassion for all the world. I don't know about you, but that's a church that I'm proud to be a part of because that is God's church. The church that He exhibited and, and made and, and died for with His own life and the church that He's coming back for, it's a church that has purpose. Tonight, I want you to know that you're a part, if you're born again, if you love Christ, you're a part of the greatest organization on, the, on this entire planet. Think of all of the organizations that people have to pay lots of money to get into and all they have to be invited into and the accolades and the different things and the fees and the, and the yearly uh, 
cost that it costs to participate in these things. None of those worldly things compare to being a part of the church. The one church, the true church of Jesus Christ. And the cool thing is that if we're a part of that church, then whenever He comes back, He's coming back for that church. And I, for one, am ready. Now I don't, you know, uh, I, I want to go to heaven, you know, when it's my time, not a day early or a day late, but you know what I'm saying, my heart is ready. My heart's ready. If, if Jesus were to come right now, be no fear in my heart at all. I'm ready to go. And I'm glad that tonight he's coming back for the church. But I want you to know this. It's so important, so important to know that we can be a Christian by ourselves, but you can't be the church by yourself. And I know that even that statement rubs some people the wrong way because then they say, well, Pastor, what about the shut-in? What about That's why we're supposed to still be going to connect with them, right? That's why if we have people in the nursing home, you should go see them. Not just say, hey, Pastor, have you went and saw them? You should go connect with them because then you're still assembling with them. And they're not disconnected for the, for the wrong reasons. Those people would be here if they could. But we're called to be the church. Amen? Hallelujah. Stand up and let me pray for you tonight.